This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everybody. Elon here. I just want to take a quick minute before we start the show. I'm joined with Brian, by the way. And we just wanted to quickly acknowledge all that's going on around us in the world right now and maybe speak to what's happening in both hockey culture with Aki Maliu recently having spoken out about the racism he's experienced in the game and in our culture at large with the killing by police of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. So we just wanted to talk about that very quickly. Brian, hello. Hey, Lon. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, those are just two of the most recent names, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. But this has been a long pattern that we've been watching. And, you know, we feel helpless and heartbroken as more and more stories surface from the past and are being written at this very moment about the impact of the systemic racism rooted in our favorite sport and the social structures uh, in larger society. So, One thing we want to suggest is that after or even before you listen to the show this week, we ask that you also consider joining us in listening to voices of people of color in and out of hockey to empathize with their stories, to learn and understand the impact of their oppression, and to know how we uh, can best support and move towards an inclusive and equitable game and world. Elon and I do have the privilege that we don't need to, we haven't needed to always be thinking about this and fighting for this. But this is a moment where we want to recognize that we've had that privilege. Yeah, Brian, I was just thinking about like, for sure, I feel so privileged. Like I just get to sit here. We've been doing this beat writers. I'm talking to all these smart people about hockey over the past couple of months, not having to worry about anything in my life, right? But all this stuff is going on in the world around us. And we definitely want to do our best to listen and see what we can do to help. And if you're not sure where to start, we've included some of the more hockey-centric Twitter handles and sources in the show notes that we look to for information and direction. We also hope that you'll consider joining us in making donations in support of Black Lives Matter initiatives around the world. So anyway, thanks for uh, tuning in again and for listening. And here's today's show. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson, 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 hoj här kommer Carlson, 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 ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson. Yeah. Yes. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and we've got a really fun show for you today. It is another installment in our Beat Writer series, and today we're going to be talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins with a fantastic reporter from The Athletic, Jesse Marshall. I really enjoyed this interview. I know you are going to like it as well. 
well. Before we get to that, of course, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the number one fantasy hockey website out there. I use all of the tools over at Frozen Tools to prep all of my questions for these shows. Plus, you've got great ramblings and other articles every single day. Doesn't matter if there's hockey, there's no hockey. You're going to find some hockey over at DauberHockey.com, so definitely check it out. But without further ado, I'm ready to cut over to my interview with Jesse Marshall about the Pittsburgh Penguins. So here it is. Enjoy. Okay, everybody, really excited for this next interview that I have for you. I don't know if you've noticed, but for this Beat Writer series, we've been starting with the lower scoring teams and sort of working our way up. And finally, we've got we got a good one. we got a team with a lot of goals that they score year in, year out. Though this year, actually, only 13th overall in goals when they were generally top six. Anyways, I'm bearing the lead here. With me to talk about this team, who are the Pittsburgh Penguins, is Beat Reporter for the Athletic for the Pittsburgh Penguins, Jesse Marshall. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Thanks for having me. It is uh, nice to crawl out of uh, my social distancing cave to uh, talk a little bit about hockey. Yeah, I definitely it's been kind of an experience going through and talking to all these super smart people in this weird time in the world. But yeah, Pittsburgh Penguins, super interesting team, lots of guys to talk about. So let's just dive in and we could take a walk back down memory lane back in 2005-06. The Penguins had an exciting rookie on their team named Sidney Crosby. And while Crosby had that amazing 102 points in his rookie season, the Pens ended at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. And I bring this up because that's the last time the Penguins missed the playoffs. After that, like that bad season got them Jordan Stahl, second overall, after they'd gotten Flurry, Crosby, Malkin in the previous three drafts. And the rest is history. Like 14 years later, they make the playoffs every year. They got three cups under their belts. And in 2019-20, the Pens were once again ready to make a run. They set fifth in the East and third in the Metro before the pause. Though if you look closer, like things weren't looking especially rosy, like right at the end, like right at the time of the pause. Like they started the season amazingly. They were 37-15-6, and six, and they had overcome all these injuries like Crosby, Malkin, Gens, but right near the end they went on a six game losing streak they only won three of their last 11 games and those three wins were against ottawa buffalo and new jersey so i don't know even how much credit you want to give them so do you have any sense of what was causing the wheels to fall off there at the end and is this something pens fans should be like concerned about going into a potential series against the habs if this summer playoff actually happens um no no i don't think anything that happened really in the first you know segment i guess we'll call it uh portion of the season uh really makes a difference i think i think what you got was a culmination of a couple things and at the top of the list number one on the list was goaltending and what they lacked from their really successful periods throughout the regular season uh in that end portion that where the wheels sort of started to come off a little bit that's point that that's the that's where the, the no pun intended the puck stops right like Tristan Jari's record-setting run crashed out. Uh, Matt Murray pulled himself out of the doldrums, but really only got to a level that you would call like average. Um, that that precipitated it all. Um, from there, I think you could build off it to say that they played without so many important players for a really long time. And I think that a lot of the younger players that were operating off of you know, pure adrenaline um, and, and putting up really unbelievable results in short periods of time that petered out. And it really is only sustainable, I think, in short bursts. And I think fatigue became a real thing. You know, guys were logging a lot of minutes at weird, at weird periods of the season. They wouldn't normally, um, Chris Letang is one, right? Um, I think Mike Sullivan set out the season to limit 
Chris Letang's minutes and keep them reasonable. And once Brian Dumoulin got hurt, uh, you could kind of just toss that out the window. Right. So uh, that caught up. Um, and I think that when Sidney Crosby got back and in the lineup and, and Malkin got back in the lineup, you kind of got that deferral syndrome in there a little bit where every, you know, there were games where those two players were single handedly picking the team up, you know, by the bootstraps and dragging them across the finish line. And I think that, uh, you know, from a chemistry perspective, it just wasn't, it wasn't there. And it was sort of that give the puck to one of those generational talents. Um, and they're going to figure it out for us type situation. So really to make the break, Mike Sullivan will tell you the break came at a bad time uh, because they had just beaten New Jersey. That's <laughs> okay. the whole reason. Like, <laughs> like that, that devil's game to him was like a, a seminal moment of the season. And I don't know what, what happened behind you know closed doors to make him feel that way. The victory in and of itself was only impressive in that um, you know they, they were going up against a goaltender that was standing on his head that night. And it was one of those games where I guess in that sense you could have gotten like easily frustrated and thrown your hands up in the air and said like, well, you know, this woe is me PDO, you know. Um, but they didn't do that. You know, they, they, they dug pucks out. It was a gritty, I guess, effort in that sense, quote unquote. But um, I don't know that I feel the same way. Uh, I think that the pause benefits them because a lot of the trends they were on that are poor are erased. Uh, you get you know, we'll talk. I'm sure we'll talk about Jake Ensel. He'll he'll be back. Um, I, and I also think about intangible things we can't quantify, like Patrick Hornquist in the playoffs, completely well rested and healthy. What a nightmare, right? Like absolute terror at 50 percent capacity. Now coming back, no bumps, no bruises. That's going to be an absolute terror. You know, it's just going to be a terror. So I think this has set them up. You know, you think about it this way, right? They just they get a team, Montreal, that probably wouldn't have qualified for the postseason. Uh, and if all, let's say, if things stay the same in the round robin, they move over and play Philadelphia. Uh, you know, it's it's. I think that the, there's a, a good potential for the Penguins to make a lot of people mad uh, at what happens in this tournament. Yeah, I mean, to me, it seems like any time there's an opportunity for the Penguins to rest that seems like that's probably a good thing for them just because every year, you know, you think of like Malkin and you brought up Hornfist and Latang, like they're always trying to rest them at the end of the season to get ready for the playoffs because they're known for missing lots of time. So yeah, it's strange that uh, Coach Sullivan thinks that it would have been good to just keep going because obviously it'll help. And now, obviously, maybe when he said that, he didn't think about Jake Gensel coming back, but that should be huge. Yeah, I that's, uh, I think, the thing everybody's kind of like frothing over here. Uh, you know, no cap in the playoffs, right? Like you don't have to worry about like nobody, nobody anticipated a realistic situation where you'd have seen Jason Zucker and Jake Gensel actually play on the team together this year. That was pretty much written off because the earliest Gensel would have been available probably to, you know, take contact and start to practice is the Stanley cup final. So that's all things considered ifs, right? If, if, if X, Y, Z and everything works out. So um, that's kind of cool that uh, I think people in Pittsburgh are going to get the opportunity to see the two of them on the same team uh, this season, as opposed to having to wait um, until next year. 
It's funny. Like Pittsburgh's one of these teams where they're, they always have someone injured. It seems like it's funny that you, it's kind of sad that you have to be thinking like, Oh, imagine how cool it would be to actually see our team with all of our players on yeah. them healthy. This, this year was particularly bad. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like it uh, in the Crosby era um, of the team. I mean, maybe going back to when they played Tampa and uh, round one, 2012, I think it was in both Crosby, Malkin, and Stahl were all hurt. Wow. Um, and I think Mark Latestu was the top line center. So, um, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, Brian Dumoulin. I mean, like you said, Crystal, you know, everyone's missed time. Um, so I, you know, I, that's why for me, you know, Mike Sullivan is, is a Jack Adams guy uh, this season. I mean, what I think his ability to navigate this team through uh, some really, really difficult circumstances in a division that's just a buzzsaw uh, was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, totally. And I'd love now to dig into some of these players. You've brought up a lot of the players that I want to ask about. So maybe we could just kind of take them one by one. And you can't talk about the Penguins without first talking about Crosby and Malkin. Of course, they're two superstar centers. Crosby started this season in typical Crosby fashion. He and line mate Jake Gensel, who they seem to be, you know, they're so good together over these past couple of years. They burst out of the gate. Crosby had 17 points in his first 13 games. Then he went pointless in his next four and then decided to go undergo this muscle injury repair on November 14th to fix a sports hernia. And that kept him out for a couple of months. And then when he came back, Gensel was on the shelf, but that didn't stop Crosby. He put up another cool 30 points in 24 games before the pause. So like my two questions regarding Crosby are like, first of all, like how's everything regarding this sports hernia? Like, is this something where we should be concerned that he may not be a hundred percent and he's just playing through it? Or do we think he's, you know, got everything under control and there's no longer a lingering issue? They were really careful when they brought him back. Uh, They took their time. Uh, They didn't rush him. Uh, you know, Malkin, I think, and the team were playing so well that there was just absolutely no need uh, to speed it along. So, no, no concern. Uh, he played, uh, you know, uh, quite a bit after returning. Yeah, he was uh, great. Yeah, and it, and I think even, like, he would probably tell you um, that it, he doesn't quite think he had his timing back 100%, which is, you know, I always say it's kind of like a terrifying thing to think about. Um, 30 points in 24 games and your timing's not there. So yeah, no, no concern. And I think that uh, clean bill of health, uh, the biggest thing will be just, you know, trying to get your, your win back um, and it'll get your feet under you. And that'll be something everybody will be dealing with. Yeah, for sure. And Crosby's probably better at it than most. And then so my second question about him is he's 32 years old now, hasn't shown any signs of slowing down yet. If anything, he seems to be getting better. Like he had a hundred plus points in 2018, 19. That was after three straight seasons in the eighties. So like how much longer should we expect Crosby to keep producing like this? Like I know people who are listening might be in fantasy dynasty leagues and maybe, you know, you always start thinking maybe now is the time to trade Crosby before he starts to decline. But like, it just doesn't seem like a decline is anywhere on the horizon. Yeah, no, and 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 it's so funny. Like, yeah, you know, I I think about Mary Lemieux, you know, post comeback, and and sort of like the twilight of his career. And even though he, you could see that there were certain skills and, and physical abilities he had that obviously had eroded with age, what never changed was his mental faculties uh, and his ability to be five six steps ahead of other people and read plays and um, you know have eyes in the back of his head and. and, and just the, the ethereal things that sort of like made him a generational player and one of the best of all time, um, they were still there, right? So that's Sidney Crosby to a sense now. 
we don't often see him blitz through four defenders, you know, uh, acrobatically like he did when he was 20 years old. Now we've seen him spin into the boards, well up, and no look across ice feed in the slot to Jake Gensel. And you're still left wondering, how did he do that? Uh, I think the nature of it's just a little bit different. Uh, so it's those things. It's those subtle, you know, again, the, the, the unquantifiables, we'll call them, uh, the things that make these players so good. You know, I always say it's, it's like the same reason no one ever figured out how to stop Alex Ovechkin in that spot in the, in the, on the power play. <laughs> Because you can't, maybe, right? Like maybe it's not possible. So I mean, Crosby's in that same in that same realm as far as his puck control distribution uh, and just his ability to sense the game. Um, you know, he he has that remote control in hand, and and from a tempo perspective, um, you know, he's still really good at at you know getting through the t- the blue lines with a ton of speed. But once he crosses that that offensive blue line. Um, you know, he's now got you at his mercy. You know, you're backing up. You know, you don't even realize it. And the next thing you know, you're on top of your goaltender. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's still, it, that, that stuff to me makes it, makes him almost immune to some of the standard deterioration from a points per game perspective that you get from the players that don't have that. Um, you know, that's, that's, I think for both he and Malkin are two things that for a really long time to come will continue to carry them into the conversation among, you know, the best in the league and ultimately challenging for, you know, top 10 places in the points race. Yeah. And it's, it's wild because you would expect generally players to start slowing down, but I agree with you. I don't see why we should expect Crosby. And even if Crosby, you know, his physical skills deteriorate a little bit, like you're saying, it's so much, he has so much control and knowledge about what's going on on the ice that he could still make things happen. And so like, I'm going to be unoriginal here and like ask you the same couple questions about Malkin now. Like he's 33. He also just put up one of his best ever seasons. He had 74 points in 55 games. I guess he always turns it on when Crosby's away. I guess he feels like he has to put the team on his back. At least that's my sense. Maybe you can let me know if that's right or not. Uh, he's, of course, had injury troubles uh, this season included. Like, he missed a month at the start of the year with a lower body injury. But once he came back, like I said, he was unbelievable. So, yeah, the same couple of questions. Like, first of all, how is Malkin's health? He is someone who always tends to miss time every season. And, like, how do you think he's looking right now going into, like, first of all, this, like, potential playoffs and then, like, just next season and in general? And then secondly, like, also, like, you know, how much longer is Malkin going to be able to do this? Is the answer just the same as with Crosby? Like, for the very foreseeable future? Yeah, I think Mulgan does rely a little bit more on the physical gifts. Uh, that's not to say that he doesn't have that same sixth sense that Crosby has, but uh, he likes to, to... I think I would say that Malkin has, has a much more of a taste for trying to go three-on-one, or one-on-three, excuse me, um, and he still tries it from time to time and still a- accomplishes it from time to time. Um, so... While I think he leans on those on those tools physically more, um, I still think that 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 sense of the game is something that that will carry him through um, uh, through the twilight of his career as well. Um, you know, this this was interesting. I think this season in particular, you know, I don't I don't know that I would say that 2018-2019 was a bad year for Evgeny Malkin. Maybe for his standards, maybe you know, even in relation to his historical averages. Um, He was still above a point per game. Right, exactly. You see, that's my point. Yeah, it's it's tough to say he was bad. Um, But, you know, he's also a new dad whose family was in Russia with a baby he couldn't see um, that, 
it was, you know, the, the shooting slump struck him. Uh, that is always frustrating for a player, um, especially when you're dealing with this extraneous stuff that you have no control over. So uh, going into the season, you know, there was a lot of vocalization from Malkin. It was, I'm going to do this year. I'm going to be really good. That's what he just kept you know, basically saying in the off season. And then he showed up and he was really good. Um, and, and I think he, he, I think, I don't want to call it growing up because it sounds so disingenuous, but you have to learn. I, I I don't have kids myself, but you have to learn to be a dad. Right. I mean, I think that's, that's with anything. And I think it's especially hard, uh, when your family's not around and it, that's what he said. Um, you know, that's what Malkin's, uh, end of season sort of locker room exit was. It was what he said throughout the off season. Um, and he backed up his word when he came back, you know, he's not this like, you know, people always have that, oh, the enigmatic Russian thing that they always cling to. Um, he's never been that. He's not that. You know, he's, he's very outspoken, very outgoing. You know, he stole the equipment truck this year in Florida what? Uh, when guys were in it and hijacked it and was driving it through the parking lot. Like, he's just, it's hilarious. So I, I think he's, you know, headspace-wise, I think was like really in a good spot this year and was healthy uh, at the end of it um, and and was dominant. Uh, and, and Malkin was really a guy who, went through a gamut of line mates. And it was one of those, you know, he was playing with Jake Gensel and Brian Russ for a really long time. Um, you know, Gensel gets hurt. Crosby comes back anyway. The lines get shaken up. Long story short, I think Malkin's been one of the guys that has really had a revolving door. Uh, and a lot of what he's accomplished this season uh, certainly has come with other talented players. But he's also elevated the game quite a few guys as well. So, uh, another one though, to long story short, another one that just doesn't show, uh, any real signs of, of slowing down anytime soon. Yeah. I feel like you could set your watch to Malkin. He's going to miss 10, maybe even 15 games in a season for whatever reason, but the games that he's playing, he's always going to be super dominant. Like you say, he's like throwing his body around. Like it's not even only the points, like he's, he's all over the place. Uh, so it sounds like if I'm trying to come up with a projection for Malkin next year, I just need to ask him. Like if he's going to be good or not, and then he'll tell me. Yeah, well, I mean, I think he, both he and Sidney Crosby, over the course of their career, have often gone into a, a postseason with a specific set goal in mind. Um, you know, I, I recall, I think it was probably 2008, maybe 2009, when Sidney Crosby said, "I'm going to come back next year and be really good at faceoffs." Everybody was like, "All right," and then he did. And then one year he said, "I'm going to score 50 goals," and then he did. Uh, so they both have a history I think of going on record um, and making their intentions like very clear. And to be fair, I think like that's what makes them generational talents is the ability to focus on one meta element of hockey and elevate it in a very brief window of time. Um, You know, I think most players like, you know, yearn for that, you know, they want that ability to to come back in three months and just be better at something. So uh, it's always fun to, to hear them kind of speak it into existence because you know i'm never gonna bet against them you're making me really want to watch like you know i watched that documentary the last dance about michael jordan and the chicago yeah. bulls we need one about the penguins and crosby and malcolm they sound like they're also like these super driven athletes that's amazing how he just decided he'll be better at face-offs i'm sure he was just at home or training just like practicing like what five hours a day taking face-offs yeah i mean it's even you know that's you know when you watch him that's the thing about Sidney crosby is, is you know I think there is a lot of mechanical elements to him. Um, he has a big personality, you know, he, he, he's funny on the low. Uh, but for instance, if you ever have the penguins in town or you're ever watching 
them in person. There's a series of, of activities he participates in during the warm-up that are timed by the clock on the, on, the, on the big board. So like with five minutes, for instance, when that clock hits five minutes in warm-up, he's going to retie his skates. Like it's, it's, just, <laughs> it's so meticulous. You know, it's like every they, – they, they just live on like a different universe in hockey than we all are. Everybody else is at. You know, everything's so regimented down to the second for them um, that, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I can't even fathom what it would be like to perceive the game uh, the way, the way that they do. So um, that's one of the things, you know, this, and I'm now deviating completely off the beaten path here, but, you know, the one team I think, I think that really got a huge boost from iPads on the bench was the Penguins. Uh, oh. That, that real time information going to Crosby and Malkin on the bench um, with guys like Sergei Gonchar feeding information down to them from the booth. That's almost to me unfair. You know, you have Jacques Martin on the bench, Mark Recchi, Mike Sullivan's won how many cups, Sergei Gonchar's upstairs feeding information down to them or on the bench. You know, Eddie Johnston is up there. Mario Lemieux is the owner. The wealth of information that exists in like that brain trust uh, is mind blowing. Um, and, 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 you know, those two players in particular, Crosby and Malkin, they, like I said, they process things so quickly that when the, when the Penguins, you know, started to put iPads and things like that on the bench, um, you know, it, it became, it became a real, a real big difference. Um, and I, and I think that, uh, you know, they were a team that instantaneously benefited from it because they have players that, that process information that quickly. Man, like I have so many players I want to ask you about, so I may regret this by wanting to dig into this more right now, but I'm so curious, like what kind of information are they passing down from watching the game to these iPads? Yeah, well, this this all kind of started when Sidney Crosby was out with his jaw surgery. Do you remember when he got hit in the face? Uh, there's a lockout shortened season, actually. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, Brooks Orpik hit him in the mouth uh, with a shot and broke his jaw. And while he was out, they put him upstairs in his box by himself with a, like a mount, like an earpiece. And then he was relaying what he was seeing from upstairs down to the coaching staff, right? So instead of him being on the bench relaying that information, um, and maybe I take this for granted, like seeing it all the time. But like Chris Kunitz is a player that talked about this a lot. That playing with Sidney Crosby was really difficult because he was consistently assaulting you. Not assaulting you, but like assaulting you with information. Mm. Or like, you remember 35 minutes, seconds ago when you were on that shift and you turned to the right and the two defenders peeled off? And, and, and no, I don't remember. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, no, I don't remember that at all. You know, like, but like that's, you know, that, that feedback was constant. So when he got hurt, he started to feed stuff down. Um, and then when he came back, they just kept doing it. Right. So then, you know, it would be maybe Sergey Gonchar or any other player that was injured would be up there. Um, the gentleman in charge of the Penguins video uh, team is Andy Saucier. Um, and Andy Saucier is a guy who would feed challenge information down. And that's really like where all of a sudden now the Penguins are like one step ahead of everybody else on reviewing plays. And, um, you know, a lot of the offsides calls, you know, and whether or not you agree with the spirit of the rule, they've taken advantage of the way it exists today. Um, and they have Sam Ventura as well, who's their analytics guy that's up there, um, you know, working with the video team. And, and so it's, you know, we don't know exactly what goes on entirely. Um, but 
you know, the way that they're parsing out information, you know, scoring chances, line changes, set face-offs, you know, all that stuff the opponent is doing is coming back down to the bench to the iPad. And then the players are sitting around hovering over it and getting that stuff real time so they can come back out next time they see that set face-off, they know exactly what to expect. That's fascinating. I would love to learn more about this. Maybe after Crosby could write a book, we could tell all about all of his secrets and everything he was doing. But okay, I guess we have to move on from these two guys. And let's talk about Jake Gensel, who I see now as the third star on the team. And you wonder if he's starting to be as good as Crosby, at least in terms of points. Like he had this 40 goal, 76 point season in 2018-19 and we knew like on our podcast we were projecting that he would do better and the main reason we thought he could do even better than that is that he did that without a spot on the top power play but then Phil Kessel gets traded to the Coyotes Gensel finally got that spot and he definitely did not disappoint I'm happy to say we definitely admit that we get a lot of things wrong but we were right about Gensel through 39 games he had 20 goals 43 points that's like a 42 goal 90 point pace before he suffered that shoulder injury versus the Sens that ended the season prematurely for him maybe not the playoffs but at least the regular season so and the the sad thing was like aside from cutting short what looked to be like a career year for Gensel it also was disappointing for me because I was very curious to see what Mike Sullivan was planning to do with him because he had that great start with Crosby and then he also showed fantastic chemistry with Malkin and I was really curious to see like whose line was he going to play on when he came back so going into this playoffs or just next season do you have any sense of if coach Sullivan has any leaning towards whether he wants to play Gensel with Malkin or with Crosby, or do you think he's going to try both and sort of see what works? Because I know the Penguins are never shy to change up their lines. Uh, I think Sidney Crosby has a preference. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I think it might inherently mean that, uh, you know, Mike Sullivan's preference. I don't, I don't want to make it seem like Sidney Crosby, like some kind of coach killing, you know, domineering, you know. I think he prefers to play with Jay Gensel. Why uh, not? He, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, well, here's where you get, here's where it gets interesting. I'm not going to tell you that Jason Zucker can replace Jake Gensel, right? Um, I, I do think that there are skills that Jake Gensel has, you know, particularly puck control, uh, you know, dangle ability, we'll call it, um, and, and sort of like that X factor of a 40-goal scorer that Jason Zucker doesn't have. But Jason Zucker does have the on-ice awareness of Jake Gensel, the ability to find open areas of the ice, the penchant for getting... Um, you know, into critical net front areas, uh, uh, the ability to, to, to win a puck in the boards. Uh, that's all still there. That high level shot is still there. So the Crosby Zucker combination was just sort of, sort of like matriculating right when we paused. <laughs> um, what makes this tempting to go the other way and, you know, sample size obviously can't kind of be the caveat here, but if you look at the time that Brian Rust and, and Malkin and, and and I don't necessarily love with you without you stats, but if you look at the time they spent together, you could probably and you look look at lines for the last four years, you'd probably count lines better than that one on one hand. If you disclude Sidney Crosby, um, <laughs> let's take him out. Uh, that's how good that that Gensel Malkin Rust line was. So there's a temptation for sure to go back to that well. Because you know that Zucker Crosby works, right? We've seen it. We've just seen it work. Um, now, does Zucker Malkin work? We don't really know. Does Zucker on the right wing work? I don't really know that either. Um, so if you're gonna if you're gonna stick with what you know, um, that's 
I think the route you go, you, you play Zucker with Crosby, maybe you put Hornquist on the, on the right side. Great. Okay. That's a formidable first line. Um, and then your second lines, Gensel, Malkin, Rust, and you know what you get with that one. So I think I'd much rather personally go in that direction. There's a lot less question marks. I don't want to come out of a pandemic and just decide to play Jason Zucker on the right side or you know any other number of things that I think leave you with more question marks than necessary. But that being said, uh, I don't particularly, I can't personally see uh, Crosby going into this without Gensel on his wing. So that's where my money is going. Okay. So it's like, you think that they should put Gensel back with Malkin, but you think if you had to bet on it, it's going to be back with Crosby. And, and regardless, are we right to uh, believe what we saw this season as being the real thing for Jake Gensel? Like, should we assume that whatever is coming next is going to make that 76 point season last year look paltry? Like he's now got that power play one spot on lock. So I'm just curious to know, like, what do you think the upside is for Jake Gensel? Are we looking at a future, like hundred point guy, like 90 at least? That's certainly possible uh, because he's still so young, right? We, I don't know that he's peaked yet. Uh, and you know, he, those elements, you know, I always say he's a coach, his dad, you know, obviously coach, uh, NCAA division one. And he, you could tell that he spent a lot of time hanging around a coach, you know, and his dad, he just thinks, I think the game, uh, a lot of ways they put a montage up on Twitter, um, a couple weeks ago of, of Gensel. Um, you know, I, I said, I'm not even convinced other, I'm not even convinced defensemen can see him. Because he could just settle in between four players and find that area where he's just a stick length away from everybody and no one can get in and and poke the puck away from him. And uh, those elements, you know, I I think success for Gensel is any 40 goal year at this point. Um, I bank on, you know, given the environment he's in, you can almost, I think, bank on him for 40. Um, Like you mentioned, that pop, that power play gives him a huge upside on, on point total. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it would be irregular for him to, to live it around 85 plus probably, uh, especially if he can continue to make fruit of, of that top power play time. Uh, but you know, just with his skill set, his shot, uh, his ability, uh, hand eye wise to do crazy things with the puck. Again, I mentioned, you know, the way he hunts ice and just open ice. Um, to me, you know, he's just got all of the hallmarks of what a 40 goal scorer looks like today in 2020. Um, I, I think he's kind of the portrait. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And Pittsburgh's obviously super lucky to have someone like him, just as, you know, like you brought up Chris Kunitz and some of these other guys sort of tailed off. And now they have Gensel to come in and be like Frosby's new favorite guy to play with, though he might have to fight with Malkin for him. And then I want to ask you now about the guy who you said played so well with Gensel and Malkin in Brian Rust. I saw you wrote this article on The Athletic uh, late last month about like searching for the key behind Brian Rust's career year. And like, that's what we're all trying to do right now. So I guess I'm probably, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to be asking you to summarize your article, but like he was coming off three straight seasons pacing for between like 40 to 45 points. He was a mainstay. Like he was a guy we talked about on our podcast a lot because you always have to mention, Oh, new person playing on the top line with Crosby or new person playing with Malkins. So you might want to stream him into your fantasy team for a week or two before he gets shuffled make off sure you, again. Make sure you put, you pick up your Mark donks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know who that is. But that's a fun name. No, it's nobody. That's there's a joke on Twitter. Somebody said, uh, uh, in a week, Sidney Crosby's going to turn Mark Donk into a 30 goal, <laughs> 30 goal score. But there is no one named Mark Donk. I just expect that. 
to be the next random player that comes up from Wilkes-Barre Scranton and fulfills some kind of spot heroically. Yeah, for sure. Like I'm going to be, I was planning on asking you later, like, you know, I'm going to go through like Dominic Simone, Connor Sherry, Jared McCann, Zach Aston Reese, like who knows, like whoever it is, what, like they always are worth grabbing because you know, they're going to be successful if they're playing in the top six on Pittsburgh. Anyways, Rust was just one of these guys, but then like this season, he misses the first few weeks with a hand injury. And then he comes back even after putting up points in six straight games, playing with Malkin. I'm pretty sure on our podcast, we just said, okay, a great run, like grab rust if you can, but don't expect it to last. This is what happens. But then Crosby had this repair done and all of a sudden Russ started seeing this top line, top power play deployment on the line with Gensel and Malkin. And he just like, didn't slow down. He had 45 points in 37 games by the end of January. He went through a little bit of a cold stretch, I guess, but still ended with 56 points in 55 games over a point per game on the season. So of course the big question is exactly what you wrote about. Like what, what happened this season? Like was, and was this breakout, do you think more due to him like improving as a player or was it just like he fell into this amazing deployment or somewhere in the middle, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, I got to Well, so credit to like Don Lushizen who wrote uh, an article about whether or not you'd expect Brian Russ to cool off you know, somewhere like around probably like the 35, 40% mark of the season, I think. And uh, the answer at the time was like, no, because peripherally speaking, like if you look at his behaviors, like expected goals and shot quality, you know, just pure puck possession, everything was there to keep feeding him, right? Like there was nothing there that would indicate a shortage of points to come. So from my perspective, and, and I think from Dom's perspective, like we felt pretty good. Um, you know, about after a while, um, you know, about him continuing it. But then the next question was like, well, what in the heck is going on here? You know, <laughs> like, why? Like, yeah, like why after, <laughs> yeah, yeah. after so long on the team not doing this? So Mike Sullivan uh, was the one that got, uh, that, that, you know, didn't really provide a clear-cut answer, but his belief um, was that the answer lied in how, how much the puck was on Brian Russ's stick in comparison to his other seasons he's played. And so I said, all right, well, let's go to the video. If that's true, right, and if he's actually like carrying the puck more, we should be able to find instances of it. And, you know, hey, sure enough, maybe that's it. Um, there wasn't a whole lot to see in terms of him, you know, feeding the puck to Malkin and waiting, or, you know, deferring to Malkin, which is the thing a lot of players have a problem with. Where they just want to give him the puck and then you get the slack jawed, I'll stare at him thing, you know, going on <laughs> uh, and puck watching, right? So, um, but Brian Rust, I think, has taken command of the puck a lot more, which has given him way more opportunities to rack up assists. Um, and, and this is the way I put it, right? If you cross the blue line with the puck and immediately distribute it, right? Like, let's say you bring it out of your defensive zone, you're the first guy to get it on the breakout. You carry it through the neutral zone. You cross the blue line and you pass it immediately. The, the focus has now shifted away from you to the, to the puck carrier. And you now have opportunity right, to reposition yourself in an advantageous situation. Um, as opposed to giving the puck to your center you know, at the red line and, and, and watching, like we just mentioned. So I, I, think, I think carrying it across the blue line and attacking more has opened up areas to score and accrue points that never existed for Brian Russ previously because he wasn't doing that. Um, so I think, you know, Mike Sullivan was right. Uh, I think the encouragement for him 
to grab the game sort of by the scruff and to be the conductor instead of the passenger um, paid off for him uh, in how, and not only, not only in a goal perspective, but just a raw points amount um, the the way that he was distributing the puck and, and the, how much it was on a stick. It was just different. So do you think after this fantastic season has rust earned the trust of Mike Sullivan? Like, do you think he has a permanent job now in the top six next season? Like, you know, once everyone's healthy, like, because the penguins always, like I said, like seem to switch things around a lot. And this year rust got to stick with Malkin basically all season. Do you think next season Sullivan's gonna be like, okay, even on a cold stretch, like your line mates together, kind of like Crosby and Gensel, or do you see like the first time there's a cold streak, things could get shuffled around and Russ goes back to the bottom six. Well, I think the encouraging thing for Brian Rust is that the well did dry up a little bit uh, just before the break. Um, the points became a lot harder to come by, uh, but the peripherals had not changed. They didn't suddenly become poor. Uh, and when the team was struggling, it was him and Malkin that were really doing a lot of the work uh, to help dig them out. So, uh, no, I don't, I'm not, I think, feel encouraged if you're a fantasy owner by the fact that this year things tailed off a little bit and Mike Sullivan, it seemed like the leash and that sort of amount of, you know, give he gave to Brian was a lot different. Uh, so I think that's a, a good harbinger of things to come for him, uh, given sort of the way things shook out at the end. Yeah, it's very interesting. Of course, the one place where his deployment probably will go down is on the power play because like, you'll have Crosby, Malkin, Gensel as the forward locks. I, I don't know, though. I'd be curious to know. Again, this is all just like trying to predict the future and who knows what they're going to do. They're probably going to try lots of things. But I could see an argument for like Hornquist to be the fourth guy on the power play like he often is in the net front role or like Jason Zucker or maybe Brian Russ. Like who do you think like for game one of this series against Montreal, who do you think is the fourth forward on that top power play? Another good question is, do they do it at all? Um, hmm. Do they go with Justin Schultz and Chris Letang? Right. Because one real critical area of concern they had going into the pause was the defensive leaks on the power play had started to rear their ugly head again. And some of the behaviors that got them eliminated in five games against the Islanders and really even kind of against the Capitals the year prior to that kind of crawled back out from underneath the woodwork and Mike Sullivan started to throw wrenches at the power play. Uh, just, you know, for instance, Latang off Schultz on uh, two defensemen, right. uh, put Crosby and Malkin on separate units, which I hate. That's just, I know, <laughs> that never works. Um, but he tried everything because it was that bad. So uh, great news. Uh, you know, the power play is not going to, you know, we'll get to hit the reset button here. Right. So you're coming back with a clean slate now. Uh, but if, there's a hesitance there or if Mike Sullivan's not confident uh, about the way things are looking in camps, I don't know that, that we'll see four forwards on it at all. Now, if we do, uh, I think you're probably going to see Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, and Hornquist. Um, right. And I say Hornquist only because the, the havoc he creates in front of the crease is just at times unprecedented. And no one uh, makes enemies on the opposing team quicker than him. Uh, just from not doing anything other than standing in places they don't like. So uh, I think that uh, that remains to be a strength of that unit when it's working well, and probably expect to see that be the case moving forward. Yeah, that's what they were going with at the start of the season. So why change it, uh, especially since it was working so well until all the injuries. Uh, so, okay, one other player I want to zone in on as far as the forwards go, we've already talked about him a lot, is Jason Zucker. So 
He is a guy that's going to compete with Brian Russ potentially for this like power play spot or a spot in the top six. And like you said, he came in, only got 15 games as a Penguin, but he had 12 points. So obviously things were working out pretty well playing with Sidney Crosby. And I'll admit, like, while everyone was falling all over themselves to add Zucker in fantasy leagues when he was traded to Pittsburgh, I was kind of like preaching caution. I was thinking back to all the previous times people got like super excited about players getting traded to Pittsburgh, you know, like David Perron, like Broussard, Tanner Pearson, Bjugstad, like recently Galchenyuk. And everyone always was like, oh my God, this person's going to be with Crosby or Malkin. So they're going to be amazing now. And I thought, well, you know, Zucker's not having a great season and now he's coming to Pittsburgh. So it's not like a guarantee that all of a sudden he's going to be great. But I think. I was wrong. I think I blew that take. I'm curious to know if you concur. Like, Lane, you've already talked about how you thought that he and Crosby can make a good match together. Like, should we be bracing ourselves for like a full season of Crosby and Zucker playing together next year? Or like on the worst case, which is even bad, like Zucker playing with Malkin, like, is this going to be a sure top six guy? And should we be expecting that he's probably going to be approaching, maybe beating his career high? Like his career high is 64 points in 2017-18. seems like if he's in the top six on Pittsburgh all season without getting shuffled off, that shouldn't be too hard. I really think so. Uh, if you can forecheck well in this system, you're going to get a lot of opportunities to get turnovers um, and play off the counter. Uh, this is a really aggressive system in, in Pittsburgh. You know, they'll often, um, you know, send two full, just two four checkers full bore and in the defensive zone to bust up your breakout. Uh, and Jason Zucker really likes that. Uh, I think he fits that mold and that's an environment that he enjoys. Uh, I think it took him some time. You know, Minnesota's a that's a reserved place, man. You know, it's not that's not a wide open go get him system up, you know, up there. Uh so I think it, it was an adjustment period for him when he came to Pittsburgh to kind of take the reins off and go get it, right? Uh and you know, after a period of a few games, um that it came together. Uh so yeah, I I Everything he, you know, again, I think all of the skills possessed by Jake Gensel, a lot of the skills that he possesses that make him so successful on this team, uh, Jason Zucker also has with a touch uh, of, you know, just ferocity along the wall. Uh, he could forecheck. He, he was getting turnovers, getting up ice, disrupting uh, what the other team was trying to do. Really good on the power play. Uh, so yeah, I, I think he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. And, um, you know, Jim Rutherford, I think is, is pleasantly, uh, as pleased as could be, uh, with the way that that trade worked out. Um, and the fact that he's still going to be here for another, it's not a rental, right? There's -hmm. there's value, uh, to be had here in the future. Uh, that's probably, uh, the part that, that appeals to him the most. Yeah. It looks like it was a really smart acquisition and I really like the deal for Minnesota too. Right. So I, and I think too, I think it was a good two guys with a lot of respect for each other that made like a really good trade. So the, if you remind me, I know Galchenyuk went to Minnesota, but I guess also some picks or something. Kalen Addison too. Right. So uh, one of the Penguins top defensive prospects, ah. uh, but one that I think probably plateaued, not, well, you can't say that about somebody that you like played a full year in the AHL yet, but um, it was a situation where like, I think, I think they could afford to part with him uh, in a first round pick. 
Perfect. And I mean, if it works, it could work out for both, right? Sometimes a player just needs a change of scenery. It wasn't working out yeah. for Zucker in Minnesota. And I really like his spot. He's probably a great sleeper for next year. People might be forgetting about Jason Zucker, but like you say, looks like if he can be even three quarters of as good as Gensel, then that's going to be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, you'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So one last thing about the forwards before we get to the D and goalies, I got to ask you just sort of about the rest of these, the rest of the group, the, the tourists that sometimes get a shot in the top six. So, you know, like the guys that I mentioned before, the Dominic Simone, Patrick Hornfist, Connor Sherry, Jared McCann, Zach Eston Reese, I don't know, maybe Brandon Tanev, like or maybe there's a person I haven't mentioned. Like, do you see any of these guys? And by the way, a lot of these players who I've mentioned are like UFAs or RFAs. So I don't even know if they'll be back next year. But like, do you think any of these guys have a chance to be like a season long winger with one of the two big centers? Like, there is an open spot. And, uh, but I, Usually you just see it shuffle around all year long. Is there someone who could be like the next Brian Rust and sort of just take that spot and hold it? Um, I, I personally think it's Dominic Simone. You know, uh, he's a lightning rod in Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I think people that have an affinity for analytics and hockey love him because they know that, you know, anywhere Dominic Simone goes subsequently, you'll see an increase in, in shot quality, shot volume, and goals. So that's really like, at this point, that's just true. <laughs> we, we know that uh, from pretty much the duration of his, of his career at this point in recent memory. Uh, Dominic Simone is, is a guy who uh, can get loose pucks. He can quickly and accurately, I think, tee up his teammates. Um, but the problem is he just does not have any finish at all. Uh, he can't put the puck in the net to save his life. And, and I think that for me, it doesn't bother me as much because I don't care who does the scoring. If you right. put a player on a line and other players score more, who cares, right? It doesn't make a difference. <laughs> who, where, why does it make a difference where the goals come from? Uh, but people see him miss chances, you know, here and there and, you know, confirmation bias and all that other stuff. So uh, that spot would have been, I think it's safe to say probably that right wing spot with Crosby would have been his regardless of who's on the other side. Um, you know, I, I, he's now out. So the penguins injury bugs continued into the pause. Uh, they've lost Dominic Simone and Nick Bugstad both had surgery on injuries. They had played through, mm-hmm. uh, at some point this year. So I think that'll be it for Nick Bugstad. I think his penguin career ends, uh, with probably like a total of maybe 30 games played over two years. um, and I'm going to toss Brandon Tanev's name into the hat. Not necessarily as a guy who's going to play on Crosby or Malkin's right wing, um, but as a guy who's going to be a real, real nuisance. And it's one of those situations, I think, where people have a tendency, you know, I think the Penguins are in the process of building a third line um, that, that's going to be really formidable and difficult to handle. Um, you know, guys like Teddy Bluger, uh, Brandon Tanev, Zach Aston, Reese, especially, um, were really, really having strong years and controlling the game of hockey. Uh, so that to me is is an element that is such a, a wild card because you know that top six is going to be a handful. You know it. It just comes with territory. If you can add a third line, a la the you know Haglin Benino Kessel unit in there, mm-hmm. um, or even just a, a lineup that makes coaches have to second guess themselves. Um, you know, it's just such a, such a big element to this team. And I, and I do think that they have the parts for it. Um, I am 
interested. I, I would say too that they they the fact that they brought Connor Sherry back um makes me think we might see him return as well. Um but uh, some other players like Evan Rodriguez they acquired from Buffalo and you know I, I don't I don't know about that. Jared McCann, you know, a player who lit the world on fire last year and then this year just didn't have it. Uh what do you do with him? Right. So I, they have some tough decisions to make um this year. Um, especially because the cap will probably go down now, or you know, uh, uh, you think you could expect that given the economic landscape. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I overall, uh, Dominic Simone would be my answer. I think he's got the tools, and if if he can refine his finishing ability and figure out how to score goals, look out uh, because everything else is there. <laughs> so uh, it's just uh, you know the classic case of a, a really good player that wasn't exactly blessed with a, a finishing ability. Right. Well, he should just call Crosby up if he's going to be his line mate anyways. Just ask him, how do you do it? How do you just improve something over the summer? Yeah. And, and you know, that's the other thing I say that's a compliment to Dominic Simone is that Sidney Crosby loves playing with him. Oh, yeah, that helps. So anytime you have 87 saying, like, put him on my line, you know, you've got to be doing something right. So. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so then there we go. So we've got our potential top six in place. Let's see how accurate it is when we actually get into next season, like through 10 games. Yeah. Uh, okay, so over to defense. It's always great to see an almost full season from Chris Letang at this point in his career. And this past season, he only missed a handful of games in November. And aside from that, he put up really great numbers, like his usual big minutes. Like you said, maybe bigger minutes than they wanted to give him because of injuries. But he had 44 points in 61 games. So that's a 59-point pace. It is worth noting, though, Latang, kind of like the Penguins overall, like, he kind of slowed down at the end. He only had a goal and three assists in his final 11 games. And more concerning to me, though I think you've kind of answered this already, like he got shifted off the top power play for those last few games in favor of Justin Schultz. So I wanted to ask you, should people be concerned? Is this something that could continue to happen next year where Latang might not be a lock for the top power play? I know Justin Schultz is going to be an unrestricted free agent, so maybe he doesn't come back. But is it like you said that Latang might be a bit of a defensive liability, like on the top power play and they want to have someone there. That's going to help not let in more shorthanded goals. That's, that's the big thing with Latang, right? Um, you know, and I think this is kind of like the fight is that he always more often than not has the puck on his stick. You know, he's a guy that loves to carry it, very talented distributor. Um, that's really the hallmark of his game. Right. So, when players have the puck on their stick, they're going to make mistakes. That's just the way it comes. And the more you have the puck on your stick, the more mistakes that will present themselves as opportunities for you. Uh, so Latang has that knock against him, or oftentimes the mistake he makes is the one you talk about on the way home in the car, right? Can mm. you believe he fumbled that puck at the blue line? Can you believe he made that pinch? Reminds me of people talking about Eric Carlson in Ottawa. Like oh, my goodness. Mistake. Right. Yeah. Uh, but what you didn't pay attention to was the 75 things he did <laughs> that aided the puck coming out of the zone or, you know, somebody getting a shot off the rush. So analytically speaking, like, Latang's nowhere near as bad as people think he is defensively. Nowhere near it. The reality is somewhere in the middle. Um but if, if, if these errors are at any, to, be, to be believed to be anywhere egregious as people think they are, his expected goal numbers wouldn't be as good. So you know, I think it's uh, – I think Mike Sullivan this year really found like an appropriate wheelhouse for Chris Letang's usage. And, and, and there were points this year where Letang was brilliant in that wheelhouse. 
And that all, you know, that all those plans were laid to waste. And I think things really went south when Chris Letang had to play with Jack Johnson. Uh, that was ugly. Nothing about that worked. It was just oil and water. Uh, and then some of the, I, I think when Dumoulin came back, uh, you know, I, I don't, I think there was a buffer, like there was a, a break there. It wasn't an immediate reconnection. You know, Dumoulin had a really serious surgery, really serious injury. And I think Latang uh, was sort of in like, I have to do everything myself mode from playing with Jack Johnson. So uh, again, another situation to me that a pause benefits. Um, you know, coming back now, you have Latang and Dumoulin totally healthy and well-rested uh, with the ability to, to have a camp together and resync. Uh, so that, 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 you know, I, I view it as just another benefit to the team. Um, and I don't, you know, for me, I personally, I just don't have a super big concern about Chris Letang. And I, I, I do think that part of the um, uh, power play demotion uh, was a part of, you know, of him, you know, trying to do too much. Uh, but I think also part of it was the part of the power play stunk and turned the puck over a lot. And, and in an umbrella, you're the only guy up top by yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're victimized in those situations. And that, you know, some of that, some of it was that, um, you know, when you're the only guy up on the point and, you know, your, your team turns the puck over, you more often than not, you get burned. So, uh, we'll see how it goes, but I, uh, I feel, I think I, I think everybody in Pittsburgh should feel pretty good about, uh, that top pairing, especially, um, moving into the postseason. Yeah, that's great. And obviously Latang being healthy is like a lot of the battle as well. So if he has this rest and now you're saying Dublin is back to be his defense partner. So it's great to hear that, you know, you're, you have full confidence in Latang. though. I am curious to get your thoughts. Like, let's say Justin Schultz. Well, I don't know. Do you have a thought on does Pittsburgh plan on bringing Justin Schultz back? I wouldn't no. think so. No, yeah, okay. no, no. They're going to give him the opportunity to choose his destination too. Um, I, I don't think, I think, you know, Jim Rutherford's very old school, right? Um, it's like the old ocean is 11. You shook Shinatra's hand thing, you know? Um, I, I don't think Jim Rutherford wanted to trade Justin Schultz at the deadline as a, as a token of respect to him mm. to say like, you're, you're going to get money. Somebody's going to pay you, uh, go get it. I think Justin Schultz wants to come back to the penguins. Um, but I don't think that that's, I think that relationship's ended. Here's, here's, I think the reality of the Justin Schultz thing, you know, he did redeem his career here, undoubtedly. There's just no two ways about that. Do you? Let me ask you. Do you have that perception? I think from outside of Pittsburgh, does everybody have that perception that like Justin Schultz is a much better player now? Well, I mean, I just remember that one season where Latang got hurt and Schultz took over the top power play for like a really long stretch, and he was like unbelievable. And so yeah, I was like, yeah. okay, Justin Schultz is great. Then these last few seasons, I don't know, I, he doesn't really pop up on my radar too often, except for every once in a while when he's bumping Latang, and I'm like, wait, where's yeah. Latang? So it's it's one of those things that like he has a ceiling. He's a defenseman with a very clear cut ceiling, and and once you deploy him outside of that ceiling, it can get bad. Um, and it's unfortunately like, that ceiling is like third pairing. Right, like that's really, like you could you could get use of him out. I think on the second, depending on your makeup. But um, you know, I just I think the Penguins could get more out of not more, but I think they're looking for a defense that they don't have to watch. You know, um, they have John Marino now. That to me make is what makes Justin Schultz expendable, and Marcus Pedersen's locked up. So two players I think that play a similar role, but 
are players that you can deploy with a bit more confidence in a, in a wider variety of situations. Yeah. And especially if Schultz is going to be after like a significant contract, then why should Pittsburgh pay for it? So, yeah. all right. So Schultz is gone. Let's say Latang gets injured at some point next season, as he often does wishing him the best. I'd love to see him play 82 games. Hard to imagine that happening. Uh, who, who's next? Like who's next in line for the big deployment bump, like the big power play deployment bump, like this past season, the biggest power play time on ice guys, aside from Latang and Schultz were Marcus Patterson, Yuso Ricola and rookie John Marino. So do you see any of these guys potentially being groomed for that Latang spot? Like maybe if not next year, then like in the future, like do they have a person earmarked for like the next Latang? Uh, well, probably Kalen Addison. They traded him the Minnesota. Right. <laughs> um, no, they don't. Uh, John, it's John Marino. That's oh, who cool. it is. Yeah. Uh, John Marino is an interesting story because no one saw this coming at all. Yeah. Edmonton uh, you know, clearly he, didn't. Yeah. No, Edmonton clearly didn't. Um, and I think, too, he wasn't going to resign there. Um, so for them, it was more of like, a, do we want to get something in return for this or do we want to let him go? Uh, and, you know, obviously that we know what the answer was. So I think that in the preseason and in camp, he exhibited a level of like poise that no one expected. Um, you know, it was something that was tangible, though. Like you could see it. Uh, and, and he just never, at no point this season, and it sucks because he's in a, um, you know, in a class with like Kale McCarr and like Jack Hughes and like all these unbelievably talented young defensemen. Um, and he doesn't necessarily maybe like have the flair they do. Um, I, I keep, I, you know, for me, it's Paul Martin, John Marino and Paul Martin might as well be the same player. Cause I think they have the exact same skill set. I think they approach the game the same way. I think they carry the pucks the same way. They skate the same way. Um, maybe a little bit more offensive upside for Marino. Marino is not the typical power play quarterback in that his shot is totally unremarkable it's not he doesn't have a cannon up there um but the he can distribute the puck he knows how to set a tempo he knows how to to work a wall he knows how to work off a defenseman you know he knows how to outweight somebody uh that's what makes him really good there and i think that when you're on a team with cerebral hockey players like the ones the penguins have you fit right in there um, so he may not be what we think of when it comes to like the traditional guy that could, you know, head up a power play unit, but he doesn't look out of place doing it, you know, and he's like 20. So I think, you know, with time, uh, you know, you, you'll, you'll come to see him, uh, you know, develop even more skills, uh, on the main advantage. But I, I think that's the direction they'll go and credit to Marcus Pedersen, right. Who was like a throw in, um, you know, on a trade that you know, was totally unremarkable last year and had a really good rookie season and, and, and has, has really stabilized his game this year and is another one of those unassuming players with just a ton of puck distribution skills. Um, and that's really, I think, what Jim Rutherford's kind of looking for. Yeah, so good for Marcus Pedersen and good for Jim Rutherford for picking him up, getting him as a throw-in. And yeah, John Marino, it, it is really interesting. Like He's had a strange little start to his career because he was drafted back in 2015, then yeah. decided to go play in college for three years in Harvard. So he was actually uh, 22 this year. He's going to be 23 next year, so he's not going to be your regular sophomore. So if he was already getting 20 minutes per game last season, I think it makes sense to expect maybe a bump up. And yeah, I'm very curious to see what will happen to John Marino. And I, I, I truly believe had he not broken his jaw, uh, he'd have been a much more of a household name. Mm. A lot of the national guys were starting to pick up on John Marino uh, right when he got hurt. And Brian Dumoulin was out. 
So you would have had probably a Latang Marino top pairing. Uh, and I think that would have ultimately been the thing that completely put him in the limelight. And it's kind of a shame we didn't get to see it. You won't get to see it because Latang and Dumoulin's too good to break up. And Dumoulin to me is the best defenseman on the team. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, from a defenseman yeah, perspective. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's tough to, to take that apart, but it's good to know that you got a guy on the right side that can, that can get over there and, and take care of a job if it needs to be done. Yeah. It's been a long time since there's been like sort of a second defenseman on Pittsburgh that I'm like really excited about. Like Justin Schultz yeah. like a little bit like for his offensive talents, but like John Marino is a name this year. I was like, Oh, plus he's a, he's got a fun name. He's, he's a household name because his last name is a household name. Yeah. And everybody so. in Pittsburgh loves him Marino. So, <laughs> uh, you know, Dan Marino went to Pitt, So the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree with the namesake thing. Okay, and of course, uh, we got to finish up in net where we've got like a really interesting goalie situation that's developed in Pittsburgh over the last couple of years. Like Matt Murray had this brilliant start to his career, and then he struggled a bit in 2017-18, and he was really struggling at the start of 2018-19, which led to Casey DeSmith stealing a bunch of starts early in the year. But then Murray missed a month. He had a lower body injury, and that was like the best thing for him. I remember we talked about it in our podcast. Like He took a vacation, like a much-needed vacation. I don't know what it was, but he came back, and he was like a completely different goalie. He had a 930 save percentage in his final 39 games of that season and then going into 2019-20 we were like super excited to see if Murray could keep this up and the answer was no like I guess goalies are just impossible to predict and Murray was unable to carry that magic over and he struggled big time this year he ended the season with an 899 save percentage 42 quality start percentage so like most of the time not great in his 38 games still had a winning record so clearly Pittsburgh is just an awesome team but uh, this time it was Tristan Jari, not Casey DeSmith, stealing those starts. And Jari had a fantastic year. He put up a 921 save percentage in his 33 appearances. Like you said, maybe things fell off a little bit at the end. But I guess my first question, before we look to the future, like assuming the NHL moves forward with these playoffs, who's the game one starter? Is it Tristan Jari or is it Matt Murray? Matt Murray. Uh, that's, you know, Mike Sullivan's, that's his guy, man. That's uh, won two cups together. Um, yeah. I think they were setting it up that way, heading into the playoffs anyway. Um, Murray started to take a little bit of a lion's share of the games after he righted the ship. Um, so, yeah, that's what I think. Uh, I think it'll be unequivocally, it'll be Matt Murray. Um, the wild card in all this is like no one really, I think, knows what to get out of Tristan Jari now. You know, uh, he was okay, then he was unbelievable, and he was bad. So, it's, <laughs> you know, like for varying periods of time. So, it's, uh, it's a big question mark. You know, if something happens to Matt Murray, uh, you know, Tristan Jari's uh, playoff uh, clock is sitting, uh, experience clock is sitting at 0.00 across the board. So uh, you, you got to hope that uh, Murray stays in one piece. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, Jari, it's a tough, that's a tough environment to, uh, you know, pick sure. it up on the fly. So Jordan Bennington had a uh, very little playoff experience last true. year. It worked out. Matt Murray had very little. Playoff <laughs> yeah, that's experience true. <laughs> when he won his cup. So maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong. I no, I mean, that's the thing with goalies. <laughs> it's so hard to predict, but maybe something a little more predictable is like, what do you think the plan is moving forward? Cause Matt Murray's an RFA yeah. this season and they've got these three guys, like Casey DeSmith, I imagine is still in the picture for them. It seems like it would be hard to justify giving Murray a lot of money when he struggled this year. And they've got these other two guys in Jari and DeSmith who seem capable of doing the job, but you know, Bobrovsky just got $10 million. I don't know like what people are doing when it comes to goalie contracts. I'm yeah. curious to know if you have a sense of what Rutherford has up his sleeve. They really haven't talked about it. Um, 
I sense hesitance on the part of the Penguins to throw a long-term contract to Matt Murray because what have you done for me lately? Yeah. Uh, that's the big thing, right? I, Matt, Jim Brothers basically said that. I don't know that they're in a hurry to get it done. Uh, you know, Seattle looms large. So if you want to keep Jari and Murray, you run into the potential of Flurry Part 2 with the next expansion draft, uh, which is a whole another can of worms. So uh, it's tough. I think that uh, they're trying, you know, despite the fact that, you know, Tristan Jari, you know, had this, you know, all over the place season, you know, you know, he, they're, they're, you still have two RFA goalies, which is still, that's okay, right? Restricted free agents, you can still, um, you know, mitigate the cost. I and mean, if they go to arbitration, you know, I think either one of them have like a, a case to like become Bobrovsky's. So right. uh, the, the potential is there to keep both. The problem becomes the expansion draft and the potential for a recurrence of the problem they literally just went through a couple years ago. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's, you know, that's kind of where they sit. Uh, I still think that Jim Rutherford uh, would, would like to have um, a core with a little more experience, but this is a cap world and the Penguins uh, are not in a position to afford luxuries. Right. So if they do sign Murray, you're thinking it might be like a short-term thing. Yeah. It's one of those bridge deals where like, here's one or two years, um, you know, you got to prove yourself and in goaltending, that's the thing is like so volatile. Yeah. Like even if he does prove himself and has a great, we've already seen Matt Murray yeah. prove himself and then totally fall apart. So how do you know, you know, yeah. and what if he tell, what if he has a terrible year and then goes somewhere else and becomes, you know, Patrick Waugh. So He's, these are both players like not, not well, Jari is obviously, but for Murray, he's still, you know, young, not, it's not like a, he's not ancient, um, you know, going into the contract, you know, I mean, he's 26. So you would think the intention would be to get him on like a somewhat friendly deal for like five, six years. Um, but from a performance perspective, he hasn't given you a whole lot of reason to do that. I mean, I don't run an NHL team and I don't even like really run any dynasty teams in fantasy, yeah. but to me, it just seems like there's a lot of good goalies also just available in UFA that you like, they could grab like a Hudobin or a Thomas Gret, like who might not be amazing, but like, you know, better than, or maybe equal or better than Matt Murray for one year in terms of trying to predict what they'll do. Like, it's so hard to say, but it just seems like so strange for a team to really spend a lot of money on a goalie, especially when they're not like, you know, in their early twenties. I think so that uh, I think that like the anti Niemi experience like still permeates oh. this organization in some fashion of like the whole and then so people don't forget like not only was Niemi disaster but then they also went out and signed other veteran goalies to try to backstop uh, and Wilkes Bear Scranton because Casey DeSmith and and Trace and Jari and everybody else were up there and then that backfired too and they all got hurt so like Michael Layton I think was one of them um, but like that whole year was just wacky for goalies for the penguins and i still think that like for whatever reason there's this <laughs> it's created this hesitance to go out and sign them through That's free funny. agency so yeah, it's like a traumatic bad, experience you know? so, yeah it was that bad <laughs> Oh, well, well, yeah. So I guess we'll see what they do. Yeah, I guess that's the problem. If you take a swing on someone like in fantasy, I feel like it's worth it. Just take a swing on a goalie that's cheap. And then if it doesn't work out, whatever, you'll try someone else yeah. rather than spending a lot. But maybe in the NHL, it's a little different because it actually is going to cost you big time if you end up with an Antony Emmy and then he tanks your season. Yeah, it's much harder to get out of those deals. So. <laughs> it, 
It's funny because this is actually the second beat writer interview where Antony Yemi has been brought up as someone who tanked a team. Because really, of, that's interesting. What was the other one? Uh, Arpan Basu talking about the oh, halves, yeah. and he was saying how like that year that they had Niemi as the backup was like the main reason why they like didn't make the playoffs that year or something, just because like Carey Price had to play basically every, every game. game. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Uh, that's so funny you mentioned that because that uh, there was a period very early in the season uh, where the Penguins. Uh, you know, obviously they, they'd come off back-to-back cups. You had the World Cup of Hockey. Like there was, all, there was not a lot of time off and they were doing everything they could to keep Matt Murray out of the net. And they go to Chicago very early in the season in October. And it's like, it was six, nothing three minutes into the game. You got to <laughs> put Matt Murray in now. It's like, oh my God, like, it's like the amount of problems it creates. It's like easy to forget like how important that position is. Yeah, like sometimes. Yeah, that was a stretch there when Matt when Antti Niemi was on Pittsburgh. I remember thinking that was like every time Niemi was in the net, you want to play like daily fantasy and then stack the other team. Oh yeah, absolutely. Be guaranteed. And then, like I, I had a friend playing fantasy that season for the first time. Uh, never played fantasy hockey. Huge football guy. Never played fantasy hockey before, and did a really poor job drafting goalies and had to rely on like a bunch of free agent garbage. And I was sitting laughing as he's texting me. He's <laughs> like, I picked up Antti Niemi. I think he's going to give me a lot of value. And I'm like, uh, uh. <laughs> like one performance at a Niemi like sinks you to the ability that you cannot win that week. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you've, you've been damaged that bad. Too bad. Week, so. And then he like just did a little bit. Okay. On Montreal. Like he had a good, like couple game stretch. Rebound. He did rebound to a point that like he regained respectability, I think. Yeah. But that was bad. Like he sort of like screwed them because he did well enough for them to decide, okay, we could bring him back as the backup next year. And then he and went then, back to yeah, being terrible. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking <Anyway>. of volatility. <laughs> Sorry if, if Antony Emmy's listening. Yeah. Yeah. Good run in San Jose. So yeah, you have that to hold exactly. your hat on. Uh, so I guess before I let you go, one final question we've been asking to all the beat writers here. If you could pick one penguin that you expect to be like the biggest sleeper, like positive surprise for next season, someone that's maybe going to be lower on people's radars at the start of the year compared to at the end of the year, I guess like Gensel from a couple of years ago would have yeah. been a good answer then. Uh, and then also, can you pick one penguin who you think is going to be the biggest disappointment where people are going to be expecting a whole lot from them and they're not going to deliver on their expectations. I've, I was a big fan this year. I think of what Zach Aston Reese did um, analytically speaking, like a lot of like the, you know, like the analytic awards had him as a Selkie winner because um, wow. he was that good defensively. Um, so I think there's potential there. The problem is he just can't stay healthy and it happened again this season. Uh, as soon as he was like in the zone and, and doing great things, you know, he came out of the lineup. So um, I guess, you know, from a disappointment perspective, mm, I think I wouldn't say disappointment, but I think there is uh, Jared McCann. I'll go with Jared McCann. I think that a lot of people hype Jared McCann up. Um, Jeff Adinger from the Penn's blog, um, my old home, wrote a really good article uh, going into this year about how a lot of the goals Jared McCann scored were empty netters. And it wasn't really fair to assume that he was going to score them again. And then lo and behold, he didn't. And look at how many goals he has this year. So I think. Um, you know, a lot of people were really hyped up about Jared McCann after year one. Uh, year two threw a lot of uh, dousing on that fire, but I still think they're going to bring him back. And I still think that there's a place uh, for him on this team. I just think the ceiling might be a little bit lower than what everybody thought initially. Right. Yeah. I think it was going into this season that 
I think at the end of last season, they were running a Crosby McCann Gensel line. And so we thought that might be something that could follow through to this season. I think it might've even for the first couple of games, but that obviously didn't last. And now he's got to play center. So, um, you know, now that they, at this point, Jared McCann's a third line winger or third line center for the team going to the playoffs. Yeah. Which do you think that's a good thing or not a good thing? Um, I like him better on the wing, right? But I don't, I, I think if surrounded by the, you know, the right people, um, you know, you could certainly get a job done there. So I, I mean, the potential is there that you end up with like a, uh, Marlowe McCann Hornquist line. You know, that's good. That's great. I think he could, uh, I think he could be effective with that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I kind of, I, I apologize. Oh, I, for, Marlo. I forgot yeah. about Patrick Marlowe. <laughs> yeah, everybody forgets about Patrick Marlowe, but he's still there. So I'd love to see him get that cuff. Yeah. So that's another reason to cheer yeah. for Pittsburgh. Yeah. Jesse, this was awesome. Thank you so much for all of this time and all of your expertise. This was such a fun conversation. Uh, obviously I'm sure everyone loved this and they're going to want to hear more from you. So I've got here, you're on Twitter. You got to help me, uh, understand this Twitter handle here. You're like an amazing beat writer, but I don't know where you rank in terms of Twitter handles. J F O F stands for face off factor. So, um, I started face off factor in 2007. Ah. That was how I got into the writing thing. That was my blog that my friends from my in college started up, um, which parlayed into what I do now. So, I've just never changed it, man. That's really what it comes down to is like, uh, I feel like I don't want to like have people not be able to find me for a couple of days. So, cause it changed my handle on them. So I'm just living with it. That's it. It's never All right. Well, Hey, we'll, we're going to link to it in the show notes here. And obviously you Perfect. can just search for Jesse Marshall and you come up. Twitter's got a pretty good search engine going, but yeah, J Marsh F O F to follow you on Twitter. And then you're also of course writing on the athletic, and great articles that people should definitely check it out. Very analytics focused, as I'm sure you could tell from the interview. Is there anything else you want people to take a look at? Uh, we have a, a podcast uh, called Dying Alive, uh, which is a reference to an old Yarmir Yager quote. So uh, you can catch us on there as well um, pretty much every week. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll make sure to put that in the show notes as well. Okay, yeah. So thanks so much again for coming on Keeping Carlson. Have a great rest of your night. And this is a blast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks again, Jesse, for that really fun interview about the Pittsburgh Penguins. I really enjoyed it. I hope that you, the listeners, did as well. And with that, we are done another installment in our Beat Writers series. Who knows who's coming up next? I actually don't know. I don't know something scheduled yet, but we'll try to get something by Sunday to keep this train rolling. But for now, let's wrap this baby up. So let's cue the outro music. And I'm going to go ahead and read you the credits. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. You can sign up to be a patron for only $1 a month over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Logos by Brandon Weeb, Outro music by Pat Roach. And this episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey's Frozen Tools. Uh, use some Cap Friendly, uh, Hockey Reference, Elite Prospects, Roto World, of course. Maybe a bit of Wikipedia. I'm not shy to admit it. And of course, the athletic and the brilliant brain of Jesse Marshall, who had a lot of very interesting insights about the Penguins. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, don't forget to keep on keeping Carl's song. <laughs>